Today on Let Me Be Frank, we're joined by a special guest. Bishop Caggiano is spending this hour with Peggy Fry, and I just want to give you a heads up. Um, we're going to be talking about a really sensitive issue on this episode, and so I just want to give our listeners who might have children with them time to prepare. Peggy Fry is a woman who, when she was 16, was abused by a member of the clergy. She's on with us today to tell her story and how she has clung to Jesus and the church for the almost 60 years since then. This is a difficult but important conversation, so please keep it right here, 1350 AM and 103.9 FM on the radio or on your phone with the Veritas app. As always, the app is available at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or veritascatholic.com. And Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by Foundations of Faith. Foundations and Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. They have been a fantastic partner with us, and they invited me to take a moment to tell you about tomorrow night's gala called On Air with Veritas. The centerpiece of this gala puts you in a live audience for an episode of Let Me Be Frank, starring His Excellency, hosted by Liv Harrison, featuring live music by Father Joseph and the Restless Band, and emceed by Joe Pasillo. After the show will be cocktails and hors d'oeuvres and time to meet and greet all the hosts of our Veritas shows, plus your chance to get on the air. Uh, You might still be able to get tickets. Just go online to veritascatholic.givesmart.com and you can definitely check out the silent auction and bid on items online at veritascatholic.givesmart.com. Big thank you to Foundations of Faith for sponsoring Let Me Be Frank and helping make all of this happen. All right, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, good to see you. Excellency. We're so close to Holy Week. Oh, my goodness. Where did Lent go? (laughs) Really, where did Lent go? That's amazing. Yeah. Where did 2022 go so far? I know. I know. Well, please, 2022 is going to be a year. (laughs) Enough has happened this year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, uh, you know, today, as you know, Excellency, we have a special guest with us. Yes, we do. It's Peggy Fry. I'll just quickly introduce uh, Peggy. Peggy grew up here in Trumbull in a family that was very involved in their parish. And Peggy attended St. Teresa's Grammar School and then St. Joseph's High School. So definitely a local. Uh, Peggy is one of five children in her family. And uh, when she was... 16 years old, she was sexually abused by her parish priest. But she's grown now and married 50 years to her husband, Bill. They have three adult sons and nine grandchildren. And through it all, she's remained close to the church and to the heart of Jesus Christ. And I just want to thank you so much for being here, Peggy. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to be with both of you. I guess I, to start at the beginning, and thank you for the introduction, Steve, you pretty much told them I was born in Bridgeport, moved when I was five to Trumbull, and um, grew up in a extremely devout family. Um, we learned by example. Um, my mother went to Mass daily. We as a family went weekly, um, but she made it her mission to be there every single day and um, brought us up to serve. That was our goal in life, was to serve. And if we wanted the rewards of heaven, that's how we got there. It was the baby steps that would bring us there. 
Um, she volunteered. She taught us to volunteer. She taught us the love of God, which was the best gift that mm -hmm. I've ever gotten in my mm -hmm. life and anybody could ever get. Um, she baked cookies. She started organizations, the Confraternity of the Rosary. She was very, very involved in church, ironing altar linens, and showed us the way to Christ. Um, I myself, as I got older, I taught religious education. I counted the collection. Back then, um, the parishioners counted the collections and uh, did it by hand. And I did that weekly. Um, I drove the nuns when they needed to be driven around. They didn't have a car. Um, we did whatever needed to be done. In the rectory, we had to answer the phones. There were no answering machines. There were no cell phones. So when there were sick calls, we had to answer the phones and then find a priest um, to go and make a sick call. Uh, I had a wonderful, wonderful life. I was an officer of my youth group, um, and we we traveled not far. New York was as far as we went, but we, we did things together, and we tried to help the children learn about Jesus. And um, we had, I, I had a wonderful, I had two sisters, one older, one younger, and two younger brothers in the family. And um, we were, um, we felt blessed in our parish and uh, in our lives as well. My dad worked, my mom stayed at home with us. God, uh, as you can assume, was the center of our lives. He was the center of our family life on the church. We did everything we could for the church in order to get to that um, at the end of the rainbow. Um, when I was 16, I was a student at St. Joseph's High School and a new priest was sent to our parish and everyone was elated. Uh, we got a very young priest, very energetic, uh, tremendous speaker, uh, tremendous speaker. And um, it just gave us new life. It, how it brought a different world to, mm -hmm. to us as parishioners mm -hmm. and everyone loved him. And he was such a gifted person in his generosity and, uh, and his heart. And he just seemed to have such a big heart. Um, through the youth group, he started to create opportunities to be alone with me. And I was always the last person dropped off um, when he would take us out for ice cream or if he would take us out to a show. Um, I was, he, we as a family said the rosary together every night after dinner. We stayed at the table. We had a basket of rosary beads and my mother, wow. put, my mother wow. put them what, in the sink. How remarkable is that? I know, you don't <laughs> hear of that anymore. But um, she had a bowl and she put the bowl on the table and everybody had, took a pair of rosary beads and uh, said the rosary. And when the priest came to our parish, he um, used, he manipulated our family and um, worked himself into our family life. So he was there with us once a week for dinner. He had dinner and my mother um, was just so proud because, you know, she was the envy. She wasn't a great cook, but she was the envy of everybody because he chose The priest came to your house family. and not other houses. That's right. correct. So. After the meal was over, he would say the rosary with us, and then he would leave, having to go to a meeting or wherever he went, have to go, and he would always tell her that he had to go to a meeting and he had to bring me back to the rectory to answer the phones. Um, and this is when all of this started, uh, the abuse started. And so after a little while, I would, I would fight her and I would say, I, I have a test tomorrow. I've got a project due. I, I don't have the time. I can't do it. I have to, I have to buckle down to my schoolwork. And, um, and she would get so angry with me. And she would say, God has chosen you. 
you are slapping God in the face. This is your mom. My mom, right. Because she only knew from the exterior, right? She had no idea. What was going on. What was going on. Exactly. So um, then he got to the point where I would have to do other things. He wanted new drapes made for his suite in the rectory. We were all pretty good seamstresses. My mother made sure of that. And so um, my sister was much better than, my older sister was better than um, I was. And so I would say to her, Patty is such a better seamstress. Patty should be doing this. And I was selling her down the river, but I just, I didn't, I just didn't want it to be me anymore. Um, I was physically ill whenever I knew that when I saw his car in the driveway, when I get, get home, I swam at school, and when I get home from swim practice, his car was in the driveway, and I knew what the rest of my night was going to be like. So this went on for about a year, and um, ended abruptly, and I didn't know why, um, but I didn't care why either. just mm -hmm. wasn't me. Mm -hmm. So after about a month, um, my best friend came to me and said, now I know. I know what's been happening to you. I know why you're sad. I know why you've changed. I know why you won't go out with us anymore. She said, and I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And she said, he's doing it to me. So I told, she told me, I was naive. I was innocent. I was very shy. I was a wallflower. I really was. So I didn't want to bring any attention to me. And she said, you're going with me and we are going to tell, there was another priest in our parish, we are going to tell him what's been going on. And I said, no, 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 no. You go. I'll support you. And she said, no, you're going with me. And I was weak, I admit. And I did go with her and we told the other priest in our parish. Um, he's didn't say whether he believed us or not, but the priest was transferred. And um, I was 16. I may have been 17 by then. I was 17 by then. But out of sight, out of mind, I didn't care where he went. He just wasn't on my altar anymore. Right. And um, so it left a wound, though, that if you don't tend to it, it's it's going to fester. It's it's not going to heal, and that's what happened. But you couldn't tell me that as a young person. Um, I met my husband, my current husband of, as you said, Steve, for fifty years yeah, this year in October. Katie, that's Thank tremendous. you. Thank you. Gosh. And I met him, and um, when he asked me to marry him that night, I told him, and I really threw a wet blanket over, which should have been a wondrous occasion, but I couldn't go any further with him without telling him. So I did tell him, he begged me uh, to go to the police, that he would come with me, and that we, we needed to report it, yes. and he was still practicing. And I begged him not to. It was, it was over and done with, and God will give me what I need to go on. Um, God was still the center of my life. I never, I never blamed God for what happened to me. I, I praised God for the blessings that he put in my life to help me to deal with it. I believe that when we are born, um, we are born with a toolbox that we get when we are baptized. And in that toolbox is everything we're going to need for our lives to fix any, everything and anything. But the toolbox doesn't come with directions. You don't know which tool to use at what time. Mm -hmm. But I dug into mm -hmm. that toolbox and, and God always provided. He always gave me what I needed, made me happy, a wonderful husband, a house, three amazing sons and their three equally amazing wives, and now nine grandchildren, and we have a foster child mm -hmm. as well. 
and he has blessed us every step of the way. And it was like, it was, I pictured like God just holding out his hands and I was always sitting mm-hmm. in the palm of his hand. He never let me go. He never, mm-hmm. he just always held me close mm-hmm. to him. And mm-hmm. that was, mm-hmm. that was my life. Um, at times the wound festered and I would have terrible unrest and I would need, feel the need to do something about it, to contact somebody, to tell somebody I wanted somebody to believe me, somebody, my husband believed me, but nobody else knew. My parents did not know. I didn't tell my parents. So I wrote letters. I, I just am able to get my feelings out on paper. And I wrote letter after letter after letter. Some of them I sent, some of them I did not. I sent letters to priests, all religious, um, to bishops, to cardinals, to the papal nuncio. I sent a certified letter to the pope. I'm just trying to get somebody to listen to me, and um, no one did. I I didn't get any responses, um, but nobody did listen. But God continued to bless me and give me what I needed to keep going, put one in front of the other. I had a great career. I worked. um, So life basically was good. Every once in a while, you have obstacles, but everybody does, you know, but I got through them. Um, So then I'm going to fast forward. quite a bit now, to uh, 2015. Um, when I'm going to back up just a little bit, because when it did come out in the newspapers that um, people were going to lawyers and reporting abuse, and, and it, was, it was broadcasted more, and there was a spotlight on it. And um, so I said, well, geez, people are believing them. This is the same thing. I'm not alone. Same thing's been happening to other people, and there's somebody that's believing them. Um, They formed this group, I believe at that time, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Bishop, but uh, the Voice of the Faithful, and they were a wonderful group of faithful people, and they wanted to do anything in their power to help people who had been abused. So I started going to their meetings, and I never told them that I had been abused when I was going to the meetings. And um, then after about several months of going, I did tell them. So I became active with them and and helping them to understand how it happened to me. Um, I got an email from the Voice of the Faithful in 2014, the end of 2014, and it was inviting us to a, it was called a listening session. And I'd never heard of anything like that before. And the new bishop, or newer bishop at the time, was Bishop Frank Caggiano was coming to the Diocese of Bridgeport, and he wanted to meet with victims or survivors of sexual clergy, sexual abuse. And so I read it, and I said, well, good for them. Voice of the Faithful is doing it. They're doing the right thing. They're not afraid to do the right thing. And um, so so my husband said, well, when is it? Let's get it on the calendar. And Bishop Frank knows Bill. And I said, "Um, well, I'm not going. I'm not, I'm not going. I'm just glad that somebody's going to listen. And he said, all your life, you've wanted somebody to listen to you. Somebody is willing to listen to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says he's going to listen, but just like everybody else. <laughs> all the rest of them. <laughs> all, all the rest. Is he really going to hear me? He might listen, but is he going to hear me? And um, Gosh. I went. I, with, I, he had to pull me, kicking and screaming, but I did go. And um, it changed my life. Um, Prior to that meeting, I had another priest who held my hand 
uh, through the process after I went public. And um, his name was Father Skip, who, of course, Bishop oh, knows sure, of course. very, very Wonderful well. Priest. Um, Father Skip Karzinski uh, reached out to me. He was the first person when my name came out in the paper to call me. He didn't call me directly. He called my sister because he didn't know my number. He was our parish priest at St. Jude's. I, I did continue. I raised my children all in the Catholic Church. They have all their sacraments, and I continued to go to church. I never, my faith in God was never shaken by any of this. So um, I, Father Skip uh, reached out to me, and he called me, and he encouraged me, and he was just never afraid to do the right thing. He was so God-driven. He was so mm -hmm. attentive to the mm -hmm. Holy Spirit, and whatever God told him to do, he did whether other people felt it was right or wrong, and he was, and still is, by my side. So my husband, pick, kicking and screaming, drags me to this meeting with Bishop Frank, and I get into the room, and um, it was only survivors in the room, with the exception of Aaron Neal from Safe Environments and the bishop. I think you were the only two from the diocese in that meeting yes, at that time. that's right. right. And there were probably 14, 15? Yeah, I would think. People yeah. around the table, yeah. Yeah. and it was probably the most painful thing I can think of sitting through was listening to other people's stories. Mm -hmm. um, my own story, I learned to live with. I had every kind of Band-Aid to cover it. Um, but to listen to other people's stories mm -hmm. was an awakening. And what the bishop said to us was, tell me what you want me to know about you. Simple. And then he never opened his mouth for the whole rest of the, the night. And we went around the table, and and it was horrifying. It was worse than any movie you could imagine. It was mm -hmm. it was horrifying, and the pain and anger. But what I kept seeing was a bridge being built, and this still gives me the chills to think of it, because I always felt that they were on one side and we were on the other side, and and all and the bridge was broken. There was a wall. There was no no such thing as a bridge. There was a wall. And I just kept seeing the bridge being built and one hand reaching out towards the other. Mm -hmm. And I told Bishop Caggiano that night, we're on the same side. Mm -hmm. We're on God's side. You know, we, we can't lose. Mm -hmm. And so we formed a wonderful relationship. Um, Aaron Neal, Patrick Turner, Michael Chintrup, Bishop Caggiano from the diocese, and then the people around that table. Little by little, some of them, it wasn't working for them, so they didn't come, but we had a very strong core group of three of us. And um, we became very, very, very close friends. And I love, um, I was at a social function that the bishop was in once, and I struggled with how to introduce him to my son. And so I said, this is, and Bishop Caggiano spoke up and said, your mother's friend. And that, um, that is, it's, it's heartwarming and it's beautiful and I thank you again for that. But at the end of our session, the bishop said to us, he was, he was saddened terribly um, by the whole thing and he said that. He said, my heart is broken and it was so sincere. And tearfully he said to us, we may walk away from this table, but we are not walking away from each other. And we formed this group for healing. In the beginning, it was strictly for those sexually abused by priests. And uh, then we expanded, knowing that there are thousands of people. So many. So many. Yeah, that are hurting. Absolutely. 
So we have opened our right. doors. Um, we have opened our meetings. Uh, we do have meetings. Uh, one woman at one meeting, and I know you were there with us, Bishop, at this mm -hmm. meeting. She said to me, she was her first time coming. She was very apprehensive. She didn't know what to expect. When you go to a meeting, you don't have to say anything. Right. You do not have to it's open whatever your mouth. the person is comfortable in saying or revealing. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so she said when it was all over, she said, I have to tell you, I was very, very nervous and I didn't want to come. My husband pushed me to come. I said, oh, I remember that feeling. <laughs> and, and she said, but I thought it was going to be a lot of people sitting around the table crying and, and lamenting and very negative and angry people. She said, we've done nothing but laugh. And it's just very healing healing and when you are healed hope comes you become free you do you become free i have to tell you of, of all the first of all for the benefit of our listeners um thank you for that story every time you tell me the story of your life right it it's such a courageous profile you personally for having endured you. what you did endure but keeping positive keeping faithful and and keeping everybody around you um, focused and responsive to the reality of what happened. You say to believe you, it's to validate the truth is what we're talking about. And people don't wanna face the truth. I look back, I think back on that night um, where we were together, it was at Fairfield University, remember? It was in that building I had never seen before. I didn't know how to get to the thing. I remember it was snow. Well. Was it snowing? It, it was, was icing. Snowing. It was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like all of these obstacles. And um, it, was, it was probably one, if not the most, one of the most poignant moments of my entire priestly ministry. That's amazing in itself. Yeah, and as we were chatting even before we went on to record, it's just, you know, because as a young priest, I was ordained when the crisis was just coming to the fore. So I was kind of removed in many ways from it. And then in leadership in Brooklyn, as Vicar General, Bishop DeMarzio took the lead with, the, with survivors. And, and so I was not much involved until I came to Bridgeport. So that experience was my first significant entree into try to create an encounter with people who were deeply wounded. And I, what I learned that night was you don't need to say anything. Just being there and, and empathizing. Because what do you say? I mean, those stories you said were horrendous. Oh, they were heartbreaking. Oh, my gosh, they were horrendous. Mm -hmm. And should never have happened. This conversation should never have had to have happened, but it did, right? And we, and then the healing is the remarkable fruit because who would have guessed that from that meeting we have this ministry of which you are a key part, all right, of trying to bring healing to so many others who come maybe for a day, like maybe one meeting, have come and stayed with us. It's, mm -hmm. it's a remarkable fruit of the power of grace, right? right. And, it, and it's a process and it's a journey of which you and I have spoken of so many times. And when I think of those people sitting around that table, everybody had their own journey. Everybody's journey was different. Everybody's story was different. And um, I'm wondering myself now, you're making me wonder, what made you do that? Well, I presume, 
maybe a, a number of reasons, but not least of which is as the shepherd here, or as the father okay. of the family here, the spiritual father of the family, uh, I could not imagine not addressing hurt within the family. See, when I was growing up, you know, I've, I've told you lots of stories. Growing up, my father was, my father was unique, right? And my mother was the saint, and my father was unique. <laughs> okay, let's put it that way. <laughs> because my father had a very volatile temperament. He did. But he was a good man, right? And so we had, we had some really royal battles over the years, <laughs> right? And we've said things. I said that my sister and I, we've grown to love each other deeply. But growing up, we always fought and all the rest. But, but what I learned growing up is if you, don't, if you don't face it, you don't talk about it, all right, then you will create divisions that cannot heal. And there are parts of my family that, for whatever reason, my father decided he had nothing else to do with. And to this day, those divisions still exist. Wow. That it's that hard to heal. So coming here, I, I didn't know what to do, but I did know we had to meet. And for me, first to hear, and then perhaps with the people there to figure out what to do because I honestly didn't know what to do but I did know that we had to meet we had to have that encounter and it was one of the most as I said it, 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 it was a transformative moment for me it really was um, and the friendships that we formed oh my gosh I mean what a it, beautiful thing and, and the group we have are a lot of fun <laughs> they really are a lot are. of fun we are <laughs> But serious, serious, and I'm not sure if we're close to the break or not, but, when, but we, I want you to tell our listeners the experience you had when you addressed the priests of the diocese. Oh, my God. I have a hard time saying that word, presbyterate. Am yeah. I saying it yeah, right? Yeah, excellent. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, that was a wonderful encounter. Um, Bishop Caggiano asked a few of us, to address the presbyterate, and it is a group of a couple hundred priests, priests right? And um, we were told ahead of time not to expect a warm, necessarily a warm welcome. We didn't know what to expect, um, but we were prepared. We each prepared ourselves. I think three of us spoke, am I correct? Yes. Yes. I don't even know if I can mention yes. names. I'm sure they wouldn't have a problem. But um, the three of us spoke that that day, and um, uh, we were prepared for the fact that we wouldn't necessarily um, be warmly received. Um, and that bothered me because I always felt I know of the wonderful priests. I've experienced wonderful. And this these few people shouldn't give this... Um, this guy or this person, a black eye, you know, it, it just shouldn't be representative of all of the priests. I knew there were wonderful priests in that room, and, and Father Skip was in that room, and, and just drawing from his strength, just being there. Um, but we started by telling them that we know how they felt, and you personally have uh, shared a lot of your experience of being in a place and being shunned. And we knew what that was like. We know humiliation, like, mm -hmm. like you've never experienced in your life. Loss of innocence, loss of trust. Mm -hmm. loss of, we were all, the priests and the three of us, experiencing all the same things. So once 
um, the arms were not crossed anymore and the legs were not crossed and they relaxed, it, we were accepted for being children of God. Right. And you, I, to this day, I, I'm not exactly sure the three of you um, fully see the healing that happened in that room. When, I believe it was you who said it um, to the priest, that we stand with you. Yeah. Yes, yeah, for that to come from the mouth of someone who endured everything that you endured at the hands of a priest, and to be able to say to the priest, we, we know that you too have been um, hurt by what has happened, and we stand with you, I can't tell you how remarkable that change was. In the, in the lives of so many priests. Oh my gosh, thank you for telling me that. That's wonderful to hear. Um, but it was just so true. You know, the humiliation, the people. One of your priests shared a story of going in to minister someone who was in the hospital and the woman wouldn't let him near her. And, and I said, this, this is what I'm talking right, about. Right. We're on the same side. Right, exactly. You know, we are, you know, we're not the enemy here. We're, we right. are, and we wanted to get into parishes. We wanted to, to speak to people and try to open their mm -hmm. eyes that, mm -hmm. that the healing presence mm -hmm. of God mm -hmm. should not be ignored. You know what, maybe after the break, I may ask you, so what are some of the activities our little committee is doing? Because oh, I think sure. our listeners would love to hear that stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But that was uh, poignant. Um, that was yeah, that was in my was. life. Isn't that funny? We both felt the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. So uh, so we'll be right back. We're gonna take a break. This is let me be frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, Peggy Fry is here telling her story of abuse and survival and and faith. And um, uh, we'll be right back after the break. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, His Excellency is speaking with Peggy Fry, and um, I'll just turn it right back over to you. Uh, thank you. Um, so may I interrupt? Please. What, I'm, what I think for the benefit of our listeners, so when we met 
that began this this journey. I call it an adventure, right? Better word. I like it. Right. That um, the 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 group that started that has grown um, came to a realization that they could be an agent of healing, and we've been talking a bit about that. But the group has been busy. They've been doing different things along all these years. So I think most of our listeners probably have no idea what the committee, what we've been doing. So could you give them some background of some of the things? I would be happy to. It, it excites me, um, actually, just to even talk about it. Um, this group, we are led by Bishop Caggiano, Aaron Neal, uh, and Michael Tentrup at this time. And um, they are an energetic group of people that <clears throat> continually come up with creative ways mm -hmm. to reach out to people um, that have been abused. You Abuse does not just happen by priests. Abuse is across the board. It could be a coach. It could be a, a next-door neighbor. It could be a relative. It could be a dentist, a doctor. It could be anyone. And uh, so we've recognized this in abuse, not just by clergy, but outside the church as well. So we opened our doors and we asked anyone that wanted, that felt that they needed to be healed, that they, they just needed to, and it is healing just to hear other people's stories as well, because it gives you strength. Um, and so we started, we were in libraries, we tried to pick a place that people would not be afraid to go. And uh, Aaron and one of the survivors of abuse would be there for, and just, it was an open door, it was an open house type thing. And it was, an, it was I don't, I'm not sure how it was publicized, Aaron, well, your offices take care of that. Um, but people would stop in and just come in and, and you would just talk to them. And it was a very light conversation, it was not heavy. I would tell my story if I was present, or um, Peter would tell his story if he were present, and we would just try to get people comfortable to be with us. They didn't have to tell us their story. We never made anyone talk to us, only if they wanted to. Um, then the bishop worked with us on outreaching a little bit more, and we started having our first was a prayer service. Oh, right. And it was held at Fairfield University. Right. And uh, they were so graciously welcomed us there. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, it was wonderful. It was not a mass. And the purpose of that being that we were afraid that too many people that had been sexually abused within the Catholic Church would be fearful to, to attend a mass, that it might be a trigger. Everybody has a trigger, and it might be a trigger. Um, so we did a prayer service. Uh, we grew from there, and we said, OK, let's, let's try a mass. Let's see what happens at a mass. And during these sessions, um, somebody would give testimony. It wasn't always myself. It was many members of the group, all the members of the group. And, um, mm -hmm. and we would welcome anyone. It was not, we tried to keep them, correct me if I'm wrong, as light as possible. Yes. We did not yes. go into details or anything. It was very light. Um, we grew again, uh, having more and more people join us. And um, Bishop, you talk so much about healing, and that's what we were trying to do, to help people to heal. And with healing, the secondhand effect of that is um, comfort, it's joy, it's hope. Right. And right. so we really concentrated on trying to give mm -hmm. people hope, regardless of where they were in their journey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we had a, a couple come to our meeting once, and it was a husband and wife. And they put a whole different 
uh, vision to our group because they truly, I like to refer to myself as a survivor because I feel um, that I have survived. Uh, there are a lot of victims amongst us and we pray for them constantly. But this couple came to us and they, neither one of them were sexually abused, but their son was. And their son lost his life. And when the bishop talks to us about journeys and vision, I, my eyes were opened by these couple, this couple. Um, it was one thing when something happens to you yourself, you feel God can give you what you need. But to a child, I, I just can't imagine the pain right. that those. And they are such active members of our group. They are the most wonderful couple. And um, they, they have branched off a little bit of, on their own uh, for families of those that have been abused. Because abuse doesn't stop with the abused. It, it affects changes everything. It changes everybody's life. It does. Absolutely. And so that's where they have reached out to now. Mm -hmm. So they had a service. Help me with where St. Marguerite's, is that where it was? Yes. Yes. And, um, and it, was, it was wonderful. It was very well attended. It happened to be during COVID, so it was, uh, it was streamed. But we, some of us were present there too. Mm -hmm. And it was just a wonderful night. It gave us um, the core of the group an opportunity to support mm -hmm. uh, this family mm -hmm. and this couple. May I just add something Please. too? I think I remember when the first prayer service we had at Fairfield at the, at the chapel there, at the Egan Chapel, the amount of time and attention to the plan itself, we spent a long time identifying the scriptures, the songs, hospitality, how people would be met, and all the rest. And I look back on that, and I say to myself, that was all in service of creating a safe space. Right. Because in the end, a person is going to heal in a relationship. You have to create relationships where then people feel comfortable to tell their story and to tell it without feeling they're being judged. Mm -hmm. All right, say it in a way where they're believed, and rightfully so. And the relationship is the actual healing. It's where the Holy Spirit connects minds and hearts together in the journey, whatever that journey happens to be. So, you know, people listening to this would say, well, you know, not having masks, not having this. It's, it's the group, and myself included, it's all about creating a place and a space where people feel welcome and comfortable as a first step. And then we had mass, and I was still going back to prayer services. It's all about meeting people there are and moving them into the journey, right? And I think the Lord is f wildly pleased that we're forming these sort of relationships. You think we're making them happy? Oh, I, I have no <laughs> doubt. Because, you know, it, it broke the heart of Jesus for what <clears throat> happened in the church. It did. Can you, can you imagine? Could you, and the heart of Our Lady, you talk about the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I mean, you talk about hearts being broken. He looks upon the church and said, this was not, this is not my body. This is not why I died on the cross for. Right. Right? So, yeah, I'm sure he's wildly pleased. Anytime there's healing, that's the will of God at work. Right? And we have so much more to do. Goodness gracious. I know, I know. And we're looking continually for on different ideas and different ways to expand, to help people, to to find hope through healing. Um, we also, through the diocese, they offer the um, 
uh, Safe Environment Program, which is headed by Erin Neal, and Erin is probably one of the warmest uh, women. I don't know how you found her for this job. She's well, perfect for this job. She, she wouldn't be good on Wall Street, er, maybe, but, but boy. Erin <laughs> is the most competent, compassionate, intelligent, and dedicated woman in this work that I have ever met. Person, not mind just I have ever met in my life. She really is. Um, and I'm, I'm sure she would not be happy that I said this on the air. No, she's not going to be happy with no. me either. She won't be happy. That's <laughs> but okay. it's the truth. It's the absolute truth. We couldn't have asked for better. No, no, you're absolutely right. Um, but she's always coming, trying to come up with different ideas of different ways to reach out to people and to help people. And uh, she is heading the, she is head of this Virtus program, which is um, creating a safe environment for children. Um, I don't know that I have the words to describe the program, but maybe you would do a better job of that mm -hmm. than I could. Um, but what she, it is teaching educators or anybody that's dealing with children, mm -hmm. not just educators, anyone that's dealing with children, how to create a safe environment for them. And so the bishop and Aaron put their heads together, I think, it was two of you, and decided, why don't we put a face to this? We're showing them videos, we're giving them a book to read, why don't we try to put a face to it? So um, the Bishop and Aaron approached our group and asked if we would be willing to do that, to show up at the beginning of a class and to tell our story so that people could associate with it. And I have to digress just a little bit here because I then, Erin said, I said, I'm very willing to do this. And she said, okay, five, six minutes, you talk before the program begins. Uh, and so I said, okay, this is good. And she said, okay, well, you have to take the program before you do this. And I, I to this day, you know, I remember saying, I what? You know, she says, oh no, if you're going to talk to the facilitators or talk to the people that are going, you have to take the course. So I, I was just, I said, I, I mean, you know I was sexually abused. How can I? And uh, no, okay, that's what you're telling me the rules are. I'm a rule follower. I'm not going to make waves. I'm going to take the course. And it was <clears throat> probably amongst the highlights of my life because if there were Virtus when I was 16 years old, Peggy Fry would not be sitting here Amen. at this table right now. Amen. I, it would be impossible for somebody not to know that something was happening to me. Right. That somebody's antenna, and so that's what I talk to them about at the Virtus classes. You have been given a tool to possibly save a child's life. Look at that poor couple that lost right. their son. You could save someone's life by just being attentive to them and be their eyes and their ears. Which is an obligation of faith. See, sometimes it's mischaracterized, the safe environment requirements, as an administrative requirement because of the mess the church created and, and all this. And that's a cynical way of looking at it. But the truth is, the deep truth is, it is a way to become intentionally a parent, a spiritual guardian, a friend to those who are vulnerable to be their eyes and their hands and their feet, to be able to make sure that what's going on always keeps them safe. That's a demand of love. That's not a demand of, of litigation right. or administration <laughs> or whatever it is. It's what Christ wants us to do. See, and, and if I may, I digress a bit. 
in when I grew up in the neighborhood I grew up in, we wouldn't have the training, but there were lots of eyes on me growing up. Oh, I can imagine. Right? My neighborhood, everybody, every mother knew every other child. You couldn't, you couldn't say boo without knowing what was going on. But we, they were not attuned to this question, mm-hmm. right? So now imagine that sort of investment and being attuned to this question. It would truly be safe. Yes. There would be this scourge, which we pray will end, right? This scourge, would, it would be much harder for anyone to inflict that sort of evil and harm on someone else. Yeah. So I. So when people say, well, when is this going to end? The answer is never. <laughs> yeah. It can't. It can't. And it's also protecting them from the outside world, too. It's not just clergy. Again, it's your relatives. It could be a, a next-door neighbor. It could be anyone. Teacher, coach, dentist, doctor, a crossing guard, goes list, a dance teacher. We could go on gymnastic teacher. Gymnastics. Keep going on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, but they, uh, that class, I just, I thought it was wonderful. I, I'm so proud and honored to be asked to speak to them. So you've gone to different, how many classes do you do then? Oh my gosh, I, <laughs> I've lost track. I just did an, uh, one recently, actually, for your um, daycare providers uh-huh. uh, within the diocese. Last week I did one for them as well. Uh-huh. That was a, a Zoom one, um, but I've told them, please, Ask me. It's not an imposition. I'm I'm just so enthusiastically positive about its effect, and uh, what a wonderful program it is. Wow! Yeah. All that from your husband's insistence that you go to a meeting. Right? I didn't go into the whole story of how he. I looked. I could come up with any excuse when I don't want to do something, <laughs> and it was the weather is terrible. It was. I'm not, I don't know where I'm going. We're we gonna didn't. get lost. <laughs> <laughs> and plus, it's just somebody else that says they're going to listen, but are they going to hear us? Right. You know. And I kept saying, and then he, uh, my son called. And he's going to come to dinner with his family. And there we go. Can't go. Rich come with the kids for dinner, and then Rich leaves at seven. Uh, 6.30, and Bill says to me, we still have time. We can go. We still have time. We can make it down there. And I said, what is, what is this? This is not about you. You know, <laughs> I don't want to go. But look, how, but look at everything that has happened in your life because the Lord had prepared you for that. Yes. Yep, you're right. And think of all, the, of all, the, all of the young children who may have been spared oh, that terrible evil I hope so. because I of so. your intervention. No, I pray that you're right. Yeah. Well, we'll know when we get to heaven. Yes, we see that's it all. Right. We can ask. Yeah, right? we'll see the whole thing. Yeah. We, we we only have about five minutes left in this segment, Peggy. But I have a question I'm dying to ask. Sure. Um, I am so amazed and edified by. It would have been so easy, I think, to throw the faith away and to blame God. And it sounds like you never did, and you stuck close, and you remained a faithful daughter of the church, and. How, I guess. Oh, wow. That's a stumper of a question. How? Um, It has to, I have to bring it back to my family and how I was raised and how I was brought up. And um, when you see your mother, you know, I mean, running herself ragged to be instrumental in doing God's work and 
My mother just never believed that anything else was important in life. She didn't care who made fun of her, who laughed at her. She took inner city people into our home. So we were brought up with really? every race. Oh, I never tell you that story. No. Yes, we, we always had children that my mother would take. It was a family of 13 and they were living in a two room um, high rise. And she would take three of the children every weekend to our home. And um, she, after she washed them, she made them, uh, or sure they all had clean clothes. We were products of used clothing, whether it be Goodwill or hand-me-downs, so they did the same. She always had clothing for them. And then she taught them to pray. Um, and we learned from watching her. She was just an amazing example. And my father, although he worked, he supported her through all of this. And, um, you know, he wasn't able to be with us. He worked in New York City, took the train. So, but he allowed, you know, he enabled her to wow. do this, which he wanted to do with these children. And we would take them to a public pool. And we lived in a, um, a community that was not diverse. And um, people would point and they would laugh and they would make fun. And my mother said, do not look at anyone. Don't listen to anyone. Listen to God. He's the only one that counts. Remarkable. She was a remarkable woman. She was. She told us this story about worrying. We talked about worrying a lot. And she said um, that worrying is a waste of time. She said, you are only given X amount of minutes to live on this, in this world by God, to live here. So first of all, you have to serve him. But second of all, when you die, you are accountable to him for every second that you wasted of your life. And if you were worried, you've wasted time. Try to answer to God for that. Wow. She said, you pray. You don't worry. You pray. And so I have to answer that by saying that it was my upbringing. And, um, and I believed it. I felt it. I felt, I saw the good works of God. I just, I I always have throughout my whole life, the husband that I have, the family that I have, um, a wonderful career, just the people in my life, everybody's a gift. My husband and I have taken people in throughout the years. And, and I just, and I told them, and they were young men that needed, that had needs. And I would tell them, they would ask me why I would do it. And I said, I w you're a gift. To me, God put you in my life for a reason, and uh, I'm going to figure it out, <laughs> what it is, and I'm going to try to help you. And, and with the help of my husband, again, who allows me to do this, and one of the young men that left us, lived with us for two years, said at the very end, he wrote us a letter, four pages to Peggy, one line to Bill, and it said, Dear Bill, thank you for loving Peggy. Wow. And that said it all, because if without Bill, I would never be able to carry on the works that my mother taught wow. us to do. So I learned by example, I guess. And that, and that demonstrates, right, the importance of families, yes. being places of love and witness and mission, and, right? And that's mm -hmm. part of the work we have to do too because families are hurting too or wounded now too in many ways that need sure. healing. You know, I have to say this, Peggy. I am grateful to God that you came to that meeting, that we have become friends, that we're working on this great adventure <laughs> together. I really am. I am too. I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful to the Lord. And I think we'll have opportunities later on to um, perhaps invite some more of the members of our Hardy group to come 
That would be awesome. I they, think it would be a tremendous thing because they all have different perspectives. They bring so much right. to the table. And they're just a lot of fun. We'll have a fun. lot of fun. They are fun. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> they Let's, are fun. Um, so it's time for us to take one more break. Mm -hmm. okay. And we'll come back with a listener question. And uh, this has just been such an important conversation. But we will be back. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. This is Father Joseph and Lauren Doyle from Restless, that show for young adults on Veritas Catholic Network, and we've got some exciting news to share. Veritas Catholic Network is having its first big event in April called On Air with Veritas. At this event, Bishop Frank Caggiano will host a live audience for his show, Let Me Be Frank, where we can listen and watch the bishop in a fun and faith-filled format. It'll have live music and be hosted by Liv Harrison of It's Not That Late with Liv. Very exciting. It is exciting. Did you know that Bishop Frank's show, Let Me Be Frank, is in the top 25% of all podcasts downloaded in the U.S.? Indeed it is. It gets rave reviews and has listeners from all over the country tuning in to hear what he has to say. And after the Bishop's show, there's going to be cocktails, drinks, and appetizers for everyone, and a chance to meet the Bishop, to meet all of Veritas's radio show hosts, and to mingle with friends. I really can't wait to be part of this event. It is going to be great. On Air with Veritas takes place on Thursday, April 7th from 5 to 9 p.m. at the Barone Campus Center at Fairfield University. Again, that's April 7th from 5 to 9 o'clock at the Barone Campus Center at Fairfield University. Tickets are limited, of course, so make sure to go online to www.veritascatholic.givesmart.com to get your tickets today. You're not going to want to miss this. All proceeds will go to Veritas Catholic Network, an independent 501c3 nonprofit organization to continue its mission of bringing faithful and entertaining programs to all of us in Fairfield County. More information is available on the website, so make sure to check it out and get your tickets at www.veritascatholic.givesmart.com. Hope to see you there. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Excellency, it's coming to the time in the show where you have a listener question. Yep. So here it is. It's timely. Mm -hmm. It says, Dear Bishop, mm -hmm. I've observed the Lenten practice of covering statues in some Catholic churches with purple shrouds. And I understand the covering of statues of some saints not directly related to the Passion, but I don't grasp the covering of the Stations of the Cross or the Corpus on the Crucifix. Those seem tailor-made for enhancing one's meditation on the events of Good Friday. So I don't see the benefit of covering them during the season. I'm sure there's a good reason for the, doing this. What is it? Um, okay, uh, some background. In the old calendar, Passion Sunday was what we now call the fifth Sunday of Lent. And Palm Sunday was what we consider now Palm Sunday of the Passion, right? So they combined the two. And in the two weeks prior, to the celebration of Easter is when the tradition was to cover, you know, veil statues and crucifixes. So now you may say, why do that? It's to draw attention to the Paschal mystery. So then one would say, okay, that makes sense. Then why cover the crosses? It's because, in part, this is, this is not a theological answer. This is my pious answer. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. And the cross has become so much a part of the real estate of Christianity, of the furniture around us, that it loses its power to speak to us. So you veil it so that on Good Friday, when it's unveiled, you'll see it in a new light. And hopefully, 
a, a way that it will move you, compel you to respond. Yeah. That's what's going on. That makes sense. It makes sense because when I go into the church on Good Friday and I see the tabernacle open and empty, it also... Of course it does, sure. Yeah. And, when the, and the priest or the deacon comes forward and starts unveiling the cross in the three, in the three steps, then you're looking at it, but pr hopefully you're looking at it in a way that you would not have if it was just hanging on the wall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? And the truth is most of us go into church, we're not, we're not, we often don't even allude to what's in the church. We just kind of like, kind of like sit down. This draws its attention. Right. Mm -hmm. I used to love it, by the way. When I was a pastor. I used to cover everything. Huh. Everything. Everything. In an Italian parish, they loved it. <laughs> <laughs> they loved it. All right. Well, that makes sense. So if you have a question for Bishop Frank, you can send it to us on social media or you can email uh, questions at veritascatholic.com. His Excellency is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. And we would like to thank, as always, Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring, bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Peggy Fry. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to meet you and to hear your story. I guess um, you talked about the group that you have. If, for somebody who is suffering or who needs to reach out, where can they reach out? Um, directly here. Thank you for your kind words, Stephen. It was my pleasure and honor to be here. Um, through the Diocese, the Office of Safe Environment, um, through Erin Neal. Erin uh, will return any phone calls she gets. She will respond to any person. Um, she is kind, loving, and um, she will. she's mm -hmm. a great listener. Uh, so I would strongly, you know, you don't have to come to a meeting. You could just talk to Erin. She will put you in touch with the bishop. The bishop will speak with you. Uh, you do not need to suffer in silence. It can only harm you. Amen. Amen. Peggy, I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. Yeah. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Yeah. This was wonderful. Tremendous. Before we go, Excellency, uh, would you yes. please give us your blessing? Of course. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we gather here, and we ask that your Spirit continue to guide the work of healing and hope in our midst, that those who have been wounded by the sin of abuse at the hands of anyone may find the peace and the healing that they deserve. But we also ask that as we come to the holy days of Easter, that we look upon the cross of Christ, that we may recognize that he has come to set us free, to forgive us, to give us hope, and bring us to eternal life. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. See you next week, Steve. Thank you. I'll see you at our next meeting. Thank you. Yes. <laughs>